0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change.
1: Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100% how to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestle because if you wrestle, natural talent helps, but it's it's of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me. taught me humility. Nothing can humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn. You learn how to adapt. You learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, that's good wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness.
0: Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, we're here, we're live. It's Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. My guest today is Joe Heskett, one of the great, great talents of the 2000 era of wrestlers, and I would say of all time. Here's a couple stats for you. In college, he was 143 and nine. Eight of those losses came in overtime, right? He was a four-time All-American, three-time finalist national his senior year, and then he went on to battle Joe Williams for a number of years in the 2000s and made a world team in 2007. Right after he got fifth in the world championships, he had a heart attack, and doctors came to realize that he had a rare heart defect that had realistically plagued him his whole collegiate and international career. So what he did with a bad ticker is absolutely amazing. And God, this guy is just such an inspiration. He's kind of what I call a leadership guru, um, he's studied it, and he'll, he owns a leadership company now. So really one of my favorite podcasts we've ever done. Please welcome Joe Heskett. But before we do, it's Fan of the Week time, and this one goes to Colin Weber, Colin underscore Weber, for huge fan of the podcast and just a great supporter of wrestling all around. Thank you so much, Colin. Now without further ado, let's take you to this episode with Joe Heskett. Joe Heskett. One of Iowa State's finest. Welcome to the podcast, man.
1: Brian, really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for having me.
0: Your credentials are—they're a little crazy to rattle off here, but I want to do that just because I know you're a—you're a humble guy. And then we can go back to your beginnings with the sport. But you know, four-time All-American in college, you were 143 and nine. Eight of those losses came in overtime, which is insanity to me. And then three-time finalist, NCAA champ, a world team member you were on the national team all throughout the 2000s, and man, it's just an honor to chat with you. So let's go back to the beginning, man. How did your story begin, and kind of what was the impact of your grandmother?
1: Well, we lived in Warren, Ohio, and we had a neighbor. Uh, I was probably six years old, and, and I literally had a box of He-Man creatures. I walked down to a driveway about two houses down on Union Street in Warren, Ohio, and there was, uh, two kids playing basketball, probably I was six at the time. I'd say 13 and 16. I sat down at the bottom of their driveway, started playing with my He-Man creatures by, by myself. They walked down and, and kind of treated me like a little brother. And next thing you know, they took me to a wrestling practice. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of how it started. I, I went to the Warren YMCA and they took me to practice multiple nights a week. And, and one of them actually ended up being a state runner up in Ohio um and uh for i believe warren g harding high school but that's that's how i got my wrestling start and i just never looked back
0: man and it must be a strong ymca program in ohio because andy rovat also got started through the ymca i I don't see that that often man i don't know if it's just ohio or if that's just two very unique cases
1: well, I think maybe things have changed in, in, in you know uh throughout the years as well. I I don't know if it's the funding with the YMCAs, but I just believe that probably back in the eighties there there was a lot more programming with uh with wrestling is what I would tend to guess, specifically with wrestling, but uh I do know, you know, that was a great place and still is in many ways for other for other activities for kids, but it was an incredible place for some of us to get our start and at least get introduced to the sport.
0: Right. And I know you're big on not overtraining athletes and, and kind of understanding the fundamentals before we get into competition as kids. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But um, I know you were raised by your grandmother. Uh, I was raised by a single mother myself. But, you know, I did have my, my mom and dad around. But you were raised by your grandmother. How did that all come about? And kind of what were some of the lessons she instilled in you that you're using still to this day?
1: Well, my grandmother and I are extremely close. Um, you know, she she's still around. And uh, she's still as feisty as ever, but, um, you know, I never knew my father. My mother died. Uh, her daughter uh, was my mother, and and my mother died when I was young from drugs and alcohol, and, and my grandmother kind of just removed me from that situation as much as humanly possible. So, you know, when it comes to instilling really all the key qualities to be a good human being, I mean, there was nothing but love. Um, there was nothing but sacrifice. Uh, and i saw those things and it was genuine and and here's a woman that really didn't have to take her grandchildren under her wings and 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 did and did so in a fashion you know you know, i even look back at the sport of wrestling and she knew nothing about wrestling nothing she just knew that you know she wanted me active and she saw that i had a talent in sports and she did whatever it took to you know travel with me around the country to really feed that fuel i had to compete and and to be the best so it was, you know, just out of sheer love uh, that that she, you know, supported me, and and I think that, that was a huge part to my develop of my mind mentally when it comes to how young men and women should be treated through sport, especially when it comes to, and we'll probably get into this a little bit more, but how parents interact, and 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 what my grandmother did was, a, which was an incredible blessing, is she just, as I said earlier, she just fed the fuel, you know, she just saw that I was good at something, and. You know, she didn't she didn't ride my case. Uh, She wasn't hard on me. She didn't put ultimatums on me. She just she just supported. And uh, it really made me love the sport of wrestling and other sports for that matter. But it it made me love and focus on the sport of wrestling.
0: And like, what do you think the role of the parent should be if there's an elite athlete? And just helping them mentally as well as physically. Like, what what, what does that look like for you? Take
1: a take a lead athlete out of it, right? Just take take a, a a kid that wants to have fun, which is, I would imagine, every kid that does sport. <laughs> right. uh, every kid in general, right? And that's where, you know, these these parents get the, in these microcosms. And I always tell coaches and parents, kids do not think like us. They don't have the maturity, they don't have the life experiences. It's six, seven, eight, nine years old. A lot of these kids don't even know what competition is, right? So, you know, as a parent, we can articulate that. We know what that looks like. We know, you know, the hard work that needs to go in at these kids, even my own children. And I have three very, very high-level athletes that happen to be very athletic children. But for me, it's still all about having fun. And then they'll find their own. So my advice to parents and coaches is it has nothing to do with being elite or not elite because we've seen all the time. I mean, I'll use a buddy of mine, Jamil Kelly, who's a very, very good athlete, wrestled at Oklahoma State never placed it in in college as an All-American and took, you know, second in the Olympic Games. So it's not about, you know, how good you are at six, seven, eight, nine years old. Actually, I tell my parents it's next to irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's relevant Mm -hmm. is that developmental process and, and the mind and the mental and the understanding of the sport so that they can actually use their intellect over their brawn or, you know, Uh, not fall back on accolades and and, and focus more on on growth and development. So that's a really key part of my leadership model.
0: And I'm fascinated by the mental approach in any activity that requires, you know, really a high level of dedication. Did you get into like sports psychology as a high schooler or how did you kind of come by this passion for that? Well, I think, it. no,
1: I I actually started in sports psychology as um, a major in college, but I I switched out. Um, But before that, long before that, I was always just more of a leadership guy. I was more like why people made decisions, how they made decisions. um, What was the significance of those decisions? I always analyzed that even as a kid. And so, um, you know, I'll give a quick, quick story. When I, when I was being recruited out of high school, Ohio State recruited me and uh, I love I love Ohio State. I love I love the state of Ohio. I have a lot of loyalty to the state. I'm very proud of being from Ohio. But at the end of the day, I wrestled for Walsh Jesuit and we were multiple national champions. And so a lot of my teammates um, were were highly recruited athletes. And they, several of them went to Ohio State. And many of them, they didn't even make it past their sophomore year. So mm. I'm, I'm a sophomore, junior in high school looking at this and analyzing this. And I'm going, you know, what? Why? What's the culture? What's what's some of the ramifications and some of the the different parts and pieces that go to, you know, making a young man or woman successful when they make that transition? And there's a lot of factors, obviously. But, uh, you know, to answer your question, I looked at that pretty critically as a a young man. And, you know, now I'm, you know, be 41 years old tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I finished up all my doctoral classes in human development and organizational leadership. So I've looked at this not only, you know, from a, a young kid, And and analyzing it, but I also saw it from a coaching level, a high coaching level, a high athlete level, an administrative level, and then the academic end. So I feel pretty good about at least talking with some credibility and some knowledge behind the subject of leadership and development of people.
0: There's no question about it. And you own your uh, own business now. It's called H Leadership. Um, And one of the, uh, I'm guessing it's probably a, a pivotal moment in your life, was when you were out at West Point, you were the head coach of the of the West Point wrestling team for four years, and you talk. I've heard you say you talk about that's the the greatest school for leadership, so to speak. Um, and I also read that you did so, got into some sports psychology out there, or maybe even kind of combat psychology. So, like, how did West Point add to your already foundational level of leadership and, and mental uh, training, so to speak?
1: Well, I, quite honestly, there's no, there's literally probably no place on the planet better. I mean, it's, it was for a guy like me and it's, it's interesting, right? Because, you know, you look back on my college career, you know, and, and I was fortunate even as a kid, I mean, you know, I, I usually don't say this in interviews, but I won a national title at every level. You know, I won a national title, made a cadet world team. Uh, i won, you know, out of Fargo juniors, I won university nationals, I won a U.S. open. So I had a lot of success on every stage of the sport. And the reason I share that is when we, you know, when you look at, as a, as a fan, you look at these athletes and I was one of those athletes. You just sometimes see them as an athlete. You you really don't know what their interests are, especially back in the day before a lot of the, the social media and the coverage, you know, like flow and a few other um, uh, mediums out there. But my point is a lot of fans, they don't really get to know, you know, guys like myself or anybody for that matter. And again, my passion was always the, the, the development of people. So when the West point job opened up, for me, there was probably no better job in America for me to transition from Ohio State, where we just had placed second in the country multiple years um, while we were there. And, and and the transition to be the head coach at such a fine institution there, not only was I able to grow as a coach, but I was able to grow as a man and, and my leadership philosophies and and the young men I worked with, I mean, just out of this world uh young men now the funny thing is again people always kind of look at it and be like oh you get to work with the creme de la creme listen at the end of the day they're creme de la creme because they're mentally they're animals but they're also still knucklehead kids and um you know just like you or i but they make a commitment and and that whole kind of work around that 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 whole Experience of of working with the athletes, my ORs, being a head coach, growing as a leader, understanding, you know, we had a great sports psychology uh, department there. It was a pretty unique experience as a whole, especially for a kind of a leadership nerd like me.
0: Well, I think you said it best in the wrestling world, uh, no offense taken here, but some people wouldn't look at West Point as a top job. Uh, But since you were kind of on this path of leadership, even to when you went to West Virginia, it was the perfect job for you. And just being around super disciplined people, I don't know about you, but it gets me excited. It gets me fired up. I mean, what are some like skills or even maybe small habits that you do to this day that you picked up while you are at West Point, whether it's from your athletes or from some of the military folks there that are the teachers of, at that institution?
1: Well, you know, it's its really, it, it comes down to some of the most basic things that we learn in life, right? There's like a cadet honor code, a cadet shall not lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those who do. I mean, that's taken very, very seriously. And at the end of the day, that comes back to character. Um, and, and that's what was one of the best things about West Point was that there was a, a um, it was basically a mandate on character. Hmm. And and you just don't get there that, you know, you don't get that very many places. Uh, and you can try to create cultures within a team or, you know, um, within a program But when you walk into an institution that has those types of of attributes embedded into it, you're in a very special place. And that's why as much as I love West Point, you know, the academies in general do a tremendous job of human development. And so, you know, when you ask what I take from it, I take those things, uh, you know, I take those character attributes and I, you know, I I live them. I I try to teach them Mm -hmm. to my children and you know, I'm not a perfect man. I make many mistakes, but at the end of the day, uh, it's all about helping people.
0: Yeah, it is it is infectious, too. I mean, I know we mentioned before the year my uh, brother-in-law, I believe it is. Sometimes I get confused with the extended families, but he went to uh, West Point, uh, then went on to get his MBA from Michigan, and this is a guy that could not be more buttoned up, and it's just the epitome of discipline, and every time I'm around him, I just I feel a little bit better about myself, so I can't imagine... What it was like for you being there for four years it must have been un- incredible.
1: No, it was, it was outstanding. We had just a ton of fun. And um, the officer representatives, which anywhere between a staff sergeant and a Fulberg colonel were support resources for, for me and, and the program and um, just an incredible experience. But, you know, with that being said, you know, my, my whole my whole journey has been, uh, you know, an incredible experience everywhere from Cal Poly to Ohio State, West Virginia, and now doing my own thing. It's all been a part of the process to mold me into the man leader that I am today. And obviously, I give great uh, respect and to my grandmother and a lot of other key people in my life and mentors that have helped get me here.
0: Well, and hopefully I'm able to tease out a few of those just based on the research here because... To me, your life has been a really a journey to this point because you get to Iowa State, wrestle for one of the the great legends of the sport, Bobby Douglas, multiple-time Olympian. Um, you know, A lot of people forget that he won a national title at Arizona State. That's the only time someone in the Pac-12, to my knowledge, has won the national championship. So that's a, a real innovator for the sport. And you got there at the exact same time as another well-known wrestler, Cale Sanderson, um, what uh what have you learned from him and like what do you think made him different cuz you've been on great teams throughout your life?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Cale and I go way back. We were on the same I mentioned I made the cadet World team back in 1994. It was me, Kale, Stephen Abbas, Mike Zadic. We were all on that world team back in 1994 as Knucklehead kids. So, Cale <laughs> and I go way back and we were college teammates and roommates and um, you know, one of the things that just separates him uh, one, you know, we all worked hard, but I remember looking back and Kale, you know, there wasn't many practices that went by that he wasn't doing an extra match, right? Like after practice, he, he, um, he was just incredibly gifted. You know, when he moved up weight classes, he was super savvy and how he wrestled and he kept the motion, but there was a mental fortitude that he had that, you know, it, it eclipsed a hundred percent of the other people in the world, hence his Olympic title. So, uh, no, he was just a special, special guy to go to college with and, and I'll tell you this a lot of people and again they don't know me um you know looking from the outside in or kale for that matter but a lot of people would say Joe you had an incredible career you were 143 and nine you know eight overtime losses but uh, as good as that was it had to be hard sometimes you know to watch kale Sanderson kind of go undefeated because it would have been your glory if he wasn't there I'm saying like, my glory as it is has nothing to do with me I went out there and I wrestled just like he was you know, like he did. For me, it was incredible to be a part of that journey and to watch him do what he did. Like, I was a big, and still am, a big Kelsey Sanderson fan. Um, and we competed in our own ways and, and those types of things. But at the end of the day, I was always unbelievably appreciative of what I was watching. And, and I knew there was history being made in the making. And, and you know, I've I've always been a big Kelsey Sanderson fan.
0: Well, and the only reason I even bring it up is the fact that I heard you say when you won your national title in albany when he beat matt lackey it's almost equally as memorable to you that he won his fourth which really struck me because I, i you would think that when you won your ncaa title after getting second your sophomore and junior years that it you know there'd be nothing that compared to it but i heard you say that and i was like man this this deserves a little bit of exploration here before we get into your own career
1: well, I mean it, it was history it's never been done um and and it's gonna be unbelievably hard to repeat so you know that's uh, that's something that will stand out forever and, and you, you know as much as my national title was is important for me that that victory for Kale to win his fourth um, that was something incredibly special to be a part of but it also was incredible for the team it was incredible for my teammate and his family yeah you, those are those are once in the Multiple lifetime mark right there, you
0: know? No question. Now, let's focus on Joe Heskett, the wrestler, a little bit. So you're a three-time state champ and one of the toughest high school states in the country. Ohio, obviously. You go to Iowa State, a perennial top 10, top 5. Third as a freshman. Second as a sophomore and junior to Pritzloff. Going into the Nationals your senior year, in the back of your mind, I'm sure you're thinking, this is my last chance. But maybe not. Um, like, what was your mindset and your self talk going into the nationals your senior year?
1: You know, at some point, at some point, you just gotta, you just gotta say, "Hey, I, I'm gonna give my best," and and it, it's what it is. After that, I'm as competitive as a guy as they get, but I don't overanalyze competition. You know, I put it on there. You know, I put it out there, and and as long as I can do that, I'm I'm happy with it. But yeah, to you know, know that it was my last chance to know how close I had been. You know, uh, I was 32 or 33, and you know, as a freshman going to the NCAA tournament and lost in double overtime in the quarterfinals. And, you know, I'd been so close losing, in you know, overtime in, in, the, in the, the national finals my sophomore and junior year. I mean, obviously, I knew it was my last shot, but whether it was my freshman year or senior year, I believed I was the best. So, and I trained to be the best. So there's not an arrogance when it comes to that type of mentality. You train to be the best. So I, I believe that. I kept that in mind, and I went out and tried to execute like I was the best, you know, each and every match. And sometimes it went my way, sometimes it didn't. And fortunately, I was able to capture that uh, that crown my senior year.
0: Man, it must have been an incredible feeling. Um, and I just know now how introspective you are. I mean, coming off of your junior year, like the the week you get back to Ames, you know, it's real quiet, the Nationals just happened. Were you that introspective then and in saying, hey, okay, it's about each day at a time, let's focus on the day? Or did you go through some some rough periods after the after your junior and sophomore years?
1: You know, I think there was definitely some rough periods, um, just because it's the sport. But I always, you know, I, for the most part, uh, I always believed in myself. So you know, and it wasn't like I, I went and laid an egg. I, I just didn't win, you know, at the right time, and I didn't get the job done. I mean, my junior year, that was a really, really hard loss because um, after my sophomore year, I was like, oh, man, I can't I can't allow this to happen again. And I, I put in so much time over the summer. And, you know, and I make it back to the finals against Donnie, who, you know, I have nothing but respect for. I consider him, you know, a, a, an incredible competitor and, and even friend. Um, I think the world of him but you know we wanted to beat each other and so you know i was excited to wrestle with him again in the finals and and you know not only did i lose but i lost with seconds to go and uh and i had the choice on bottom if it went in overtime you know so that was a major major error on my part tactically uh in a match to give up that takedown so you know you look back on that and I, I was of course i was upset with myself but it wasn't a lack of effort it wasn't a lack of will it wasn't a A a lack of heart or desire, you know. He took advantage of a a position, and that's all credit to him.
0: And we're talking, but to answer your, go ahead.
1: You know, I was going to say to answer your question. No, there was definitely hard times. You know, I I uh, lost to Tyrone Lewis uh, right before NCAAs my senior year in double overtime Uh, or in overtime. It's uh, a a dual meet, and I remember talking to my grandmother on the phone, and she was like, "How you feeling? Oh my gosh, are you ready?" And I'm like, "Grand, listen, I'm going to be fine." It was probably you know, uh, a good uh, time to get a loss out of my way. I, I didn't want to do it, but I'm going to be ready for nationals. So it's just overcoming those, those, uh, you know, tough losses or untimed losses and being ready for the moment.
0: Man, that, I forget some of those names you're throwing out. I it, It's just amazing to me how tough those weights were in the mid two thousands. Um, Donnie Pritzoff, third, the worlds, obviously Tyron Lewis went to Okie state, you know, one part of those great teams. So man, it was just stacked. Um, and so like, your senior year when you're really in the zone and you're really all in on it, like what was, your, what was your day in the life like? I mean, were you one of those guys who woke up and just thought, how can I get better today? Or did you really compartmentalize it? Because people we have on here take different approaches. And I'm always just curious on kind of how you, you thought about it. So like January or February, your senior year, what's your day in the life like? And what, where, are you, where are you at mentally?
1: You know, I think I found a pretty good groove just being consistent, you know, throughout my career, Uh, wrestling at a place like Walsh Jesuit and and fighting for national titles year in and year out of the team. I mean, that teaches you a lot, you know, so you hear the best athletes in the world talk about not too high, not too low, you know, and, and, you know, they say, you know, the Nationals is just another tournament in many ways it is, but you can say that and it makes sense because it is, but the reality is most athletes, regardless of how good they are. Uh, have a very difficult time finding that consistency, you know, uh, for a tournament or throughout the year, et cetera. I think I was very fortunate to kind of train my body and my mind not to get too high or not to get too low and, and, and be able to, you know, be very consistent in those, in those moments. I mean, you look at my career, even, you know, making a national team as a, a junior in college and kind of being on the scene And being kind of that number two guy behind Williams pretty consistently for for four or five years, um, there's a lot of consistency that goes with that. So, again, to answer your question, I think I was just trained to be able to take a deep breath, um, understand that this is a journey, and and embrace each day at a time.
0: I like that. And there's a lot of uh, kind of a relief to that because you don't feel so overwhelmed to take it all on at once. And so there's there's something soothing about that. Now, I grew up in Illinois. The Williams family is legendary here. Uh, Steve, TJ, Joe Williams, you know, obviously 10 state titles between three brothers. They went to Iowa. I was there in 04 at Indianapolis at the trials. My mom drove me out there. I was in middle school. Talk about a little bit, just like, what was it like trying to solve the puzzle that is Joe Williams? Because I think a lot of guys now just forget how good some of these guys were, like a Lincoln McAravey or a Joe Williams, kind of back in your time. Oh man, you know, and it, it is
1: amazing to, uh, you know, cause you look at these beasts, I mean, just straight beasts. And I, you know, I coached David Taylor and, um, I recruited Kyle Snyder and I coached against, uh, uh, Jordan Burroughs and, and, you know, so, but, and they are amazing, you know, I, I watched Kyle Dake and I'm just like, this kid's a freak. I watched Yanni and I'm like, what is going on, you know? And it's just, they're like, you know, like aliens. But, you know, at the end of the day, you look back and and you look at, like, a Lincoln McElravey and a Joe Williams and some of those guys, they were kind of aliens back then in their own right. I mean, Joe Williams, you talk about uh, solving a puzzle. I've actually had this on my mind. I I, I probably will do it at some point. I don't know how many matches Joe Williams lost in his prime that weren't, like, a clincher overtime position. Uh, You know, because when he lost, he with the exception i want to say was at the Oh four trials when he lost uh to to uh dolph um joe williams was so dominant in the us and he only lost a handful of times you know overseas and when he did i i believe the majority of those was because you know overtime or clinch the only the only knock on joe williams who i never beat is that sometimes he didn't open up up enough mm-hmm. and 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 when he lost like i said it's a, it's a clinch position that you want to talk about solving a puzzle? That guy was not only was he athletic and strong, and arguably the best double ever, ever. um, He was big. You know, he was two hundred some plus pounds down at one sixty three. No, that guy was the most talented wrestler I I I ever wrestled.
0: Man, I didn't know he. I mean, if you look no, at the guy, a he was huge,
1: huge. straight beat Huge. Yeah, he's a straight beat Did he? So it did was he a puzzle none of us could solve in his prime. Did he? Yeah. I don't know how many times he wrestles Satyev, but I, I don't think so. I know Slay beats Satiev. I don't know how many times Joe wrestles uh, but I don't. I don't know if he beats Satiev
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, he's just—it's just a guy you don't hear much about anymore. But I, I can't let people forget. Um, and obviously, you're one of those people as well. And so, oh seven, you make the team. You uh, you get fifth in the worlds, and then a week later, one of the most interesting stories and and kind of freak things happens that I've ever heard of in my life you have a heart attack and lo and behold you've had a heart disease for most of your competitive career and we're competing as a doctor said kind of on like a broken v6 against guys who had v8s so like talk us take us to back to like Bahan and then like the week after what the heck happened there
1: well, I mean, this is this is where um, some of these stories. If you're a wrestling fan and you remember kind of the mid 2000s, there, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, you know, all of that kind of era. Um, this was a, it was it was a crazy story, and um, you know, I've been joking with Flo. I'm like, listen, guys, you got to get this out there because Terry Brands and Kevin Jackson and the entire World Team. I mean, we. We got in an argument one time at a world team meeting, me and Carrie uh, McCoy, because he said I wasn't responding enough at practice. And I said, I, I turned around, like, I kind of raised my voice. I got a little fired up. You know, I'm a grown man. I'm 29 years old. I know I'm one of the best athletes in the world. I said, listen, uh, this was Carrie. I said, listen, Carrie. I said, my body does not respond like some of these guys in here. But when the whistle blows, am I ready to go? And they're like, yes, but we want you to respond a little bit more during practice. And so, uh, I got where they were coming from, but I also know that they couldn't feel my body because what I would do is I would always in between like goes, I would sl- hunch over kind of be on my knee on the mat. And that's how I would breathe best. Well, long story short, you know, I went into sudden cardiac arrest five days after the world championships. And yeah, I was born with a rare heart condition that no one had ever, ever, uh, you know, I didn't know about it. So these dudes were watching me literally, literally grind out my last few days of of wrestling and running up the cog and Pike's peak and all that type of stuff in my heart, uh, it was, it was struggling. And that's one of the, really, it was kind of in its prime that week or two before the, um, the world championships where I, my body was not oxygenating itself at an all time high. And, um, and I was exhausted a lot, no matter how much rest I took, or no matter how hard I worked, I was fighting a physiological enemy.
0: Did you ever have any kind of suspicions deep down inside leading up to 07 that something wasn't right just because of how hard you were being taxed to recover? Or are you just used to it at that point?
1: No, zero. It just, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So I just sometimes, I knew how hard I worked. So sometimes, you know, Coach Douglas would be like, Hasket, you got to work harder. And I'm like, Coach, I don't know how much harder a human being has to work, right? And and so no one knew because they weren't seeing me all the time. Um, so no, I had no clue, but I will tell you one time at Colorado Springs, it was one of the good days. Um, you know, with my heart condition, my body didn't oxygenate itself very well. So I would always have a hard time recovering and my arms and it would feel heavy. My legs would feel heavy, but it was never to the point where I stopped ever. Mm -hmm. Um, with that being said, one time at Colorado Springs, we did like a four mile run and I was always an average runner, but. For whatever reason, this day, I just didn't get tired. I mean, I beat all the really good runners by, like, a minute on this, like, 45-minute run. And uh I got back, and I was like, what is going on? Let's wrestle. Like, I, I felt like the Energizer Bunny, you know? <laughs> and I always look back on that. I do. I look back on that, and I'm wondering, is that what I would have felt like if I was actually optimized, right? And uh I'll never know. Um, but I did my thing. I don't have any regrets or any excuses. You know, you read the stat that I lost eight of my nine matches in overtime. And, um, you know, that, that's what it is. But I fought through, I learned a lot about myself and, um, you know, I think a lot of people look back on that, you know, some of the world team coaches and world team members are like, I mean, I still have my coaches to this day go, you know, Heskett, I'm just, I'm glad we didn't kill you, bro. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm glad
0: too. Seriously, but it was
1: no. <laughs> crazy. No, no, like literally. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's the thing is you were a you're a professional athlete, top five, top ten in the world, not to mention the U.S. for a decade, and you had <laughs> you had a essentially, you know, uh, no, I mean, you did have a heart defect, and so it's amazing to see what would have happened without. But at the same time, I don't think so because all of that led to you to where you're at now and kind of the leadership you're doing now. And so, talk us through. You have the heart attack. I read something like you. It was like two hundred and thirty beats per minute. You're at the hospital. What are you? What are you thinking? Like the week after this happens, are you grateful to be alive, or are you sad that you can't wrestle in the two thousand eight Olympics, or is it a little bit of both?
1: Well, no. There, there's no question. It's a little bit of both. Um. It. What really happened was I didn't. I was in denial. Okay. I. I didn't believe that my career was going to be done. Um And I believed that I was going to be the Olympian in 2008. So with that being said, I mean, I remember when the doctor and I kind of, you know, the reality came, Joe, your wrestling career is over. And uh, that was the fifth day in the hospital when I found out that news. And I, I was like, whatever. Now, when you, I, I can't say all athletes, cause I can't, you know, speak for all, especially elite athletes, but when you train as hard as, we train. There's a stubbornness that comes along with that, and I absolutely believed I was going to be the guy in two eight and overcome a heart defect. So they actually, on a probably sixth day in the hospital, they put in the defibrillator into my chest, and I was like, "Listen, I'm going to win an Olympic gold with a defibrillator in my chest." And, and this at this point, it's only ten days after the World championship so I just placed fifth in the world, losing to the world champ in the last ten seconds. So when my heart condition happened it was a mix of feelings. I knew I had some hurdles to overcome, but I also believed I was going to be the guy. The reality of the situation was my heart wasn't going to allow me to be the guy. I had to find out out the hard way. Um, but I did embrace, uh and I'm a man of faith. After a very short time, I did embrace the fact that my career was going to be over and I had to re kind of recalibrate my goals.
0: And here you are now, you know, one of the, the top, minds and sport in terms of leadership and personal development you know after your stint at at the uh, at the army um excuse me at west point i know you were at cal poly before that you were at ohio state after that then you got to west point then you go to west virginia and take this role which i thought was really unique because i've heard you say that your goal is always to become an ad at a d1 program you know, you're at west virginia for 3 years but at the same time are you kind of plotting in your mind this is all kind of leading up to you doing your own business and your own thing
1: no, no, I, I was not at all thinking that actually, I mean, I thought it would be cool to do my own thing one day, but I was on the uh, absolute hundred percent kind of vision and I was committed to the AD route. And, and so, um, you know, some circumstances happened and I was really disappointed with what I saw in the inner workings of college athletics. Um, I loved my time at West Virginia, but college athletics, it's too bureaucratic and it's not about the athlete. It's not about the athlete. It's about business. And I, listen, I can, I, I love business. Um, but not at the expense of people. And so I, I kind of have a, a little bit of a gripe and I think there's some great leaders out there. There's some obviously great ADs, but, um, but if we don't make college athletics a people first business, which is going to be very difficult to have happen. Um, we're always going to come up short in helping these young men and w- women really achieve their 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 potential and their long term goals outside of sport.
0: What I mean, what's it like though on the inner workings of like a top D one program like that? And like you don't have to give specifics, but what do you mean by that? And how ugly it is, or how much of a business it is? Like, what did it look like for you, and what really jumped out?
1: Well, I mean, a lot of things jumped out. The Student athlete's not a priority. It's all about you know, it's all about revenue. It's about making money. It's about mm-hmm. You know, and it's not just, it wasn't, I I was in a a senior level role for three years. So I was able to, you know, travel to country and talk to other ADs. I mean, that's what I do, associate ADs and, you know, look at different programs and, you know, you're at these conferences and you're hearing similar stories of of what's going on. And, you know, you got these um, major programs raking in multi, multi-million dollars a year and they don't have any type of real structure in place for, Student athlete support. I mean, yes, they may say, "Oh, we have um, a health institute on campus," but you know, there's there's nothing internal that's really designed to for leadership and life skill development or mental health. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just mental health support and, and some of these things. Again, there's resources on campus, but if you're making these millions and millions of dollars, you're telling me that you can't create a stronger internal model to really be able to take care of your your student athlete. Um, and then what it would come down to is a lot of these programs is like, we don't have the money, but the contradiction, the paradox is then the coaches on, uh, you know, the, the football staff would get, you know, uh, a million dollar raises. And again, I'm not talking about one specific school. I'm talking about this is, this is the, the kind of the, the model across college sports. So it really comes down, Ryan, a prioritization. Hmm. Student athletes are not a priority. I'm a guy that really it bothered me. And I knew that unless I was VAD, um, I was going to have a hard time to be that agent of change that I wanted to be. And I I got to the point in my career that I didn't want to run around the country anymore, um, you know, going job for job. I wanted to really focus on my children. And and I was able to kind of fall into a great situation with the mentorship uh, that I had with, with kind of corporate leadership and my own leadership model, and and through a few years of of grinding, I, I was able to create the introspective leader education series, which is my own proprietary leadership model. And I spend a ton of time with my kids, and I, I try to help people as much as I possibly can, both in sport, and business, and in life.
0: And if if we were in one of your seminars now, what are some core tenets that you always hit on if you're talking to uh, talking to a group of folks?
1: Well, I'll tell you this right now. There's four. There's four. I call it the four domains of effective leadership because it's all about effective leadership, and that's what what I break down specifically. Because leadership can be good or bad. It can be positive or destructive. And so we have people in leadership positions, but that certainly does not mean they're good leaders. And and we see that in across all industry. So whether it's my leadership model, whether I'm working with businesses or I do this with my own athletes. There's four domains of effective leadership. the first is understanding, and we have to raise our understanding in whatever we do if we want to have um if we want to be excel or or, or be um, effective at what we do. we have to raise our understanding and there's ways to do that through knowledge and intellect and um you know some some different ways of raising our understanding. The second domain is decisions we have to learn how to not only make uh, effective decisions, but we got to manage those decisions. And a lot of that comes down to communication and delegation, which people struggle with. The third element of this is, is belief. And there's a concept called self-efficacy, which is our belief in ourselves, this domain specific, uh, belief. And, and so we break down belief and I'll use a quick wrestling example. Somebody may have a lot of belief on the mat, right? And, and on the, on the top position, but they may have, Very, very low belief on, on a neutral. Mm
0: -hmm. So their
1: self efficacy is is all these different domains that we have to break down. And the final aspect of my leadership model is, is execution. So when you really focus on understanding, decision, belief, at the end of the day, if we can raise all those and raise our knowledge in all those areas continually, because you can't get enough knowledge. You will have higher chances of executing and, and, and being more consistent with executing and being more consistent at building teams to execute. And that's what we break down. And here's the thing. We break it down with each individual. That's why it's called the introspective leader education series. Cause it's all about us getting to know us better. And, you know, I feel like if there's a guy that can challenge people to do that, especially if they're up for the challenge, it's a guy like me who's coached his whole life and understands leadership at a pretty high level
0: no question about it and there's there's two things there that really jump out to me one is the understanding not so much like technique and rules and the game but understanding yourself and you're big on self-reflection and there's no sport like wrestling that brings it up because so many times after a tough match you're just you're left with yourself and your own thoughts and so is that a big part of it like understanding yourself versus understanding kind of the landscape that you're in
1: well, without question. And, and, you know, again, not to get too deep in the leadership model, but I have, uh, three brands of knowledge, ignorance, procedural knowledge, and declarative knowledge. And declarative knowledge is basically that, that knowledge, you know, that someone may have that is basically the highest level of knowledge that, uh, they're, they're, they have a great clarity on, on what they're doing and how to navigate whatever domain that is, right? Well, I don't care how high your declarative knowledge is. You can't have enough of it so when it comes to understanding it's all about raising that so i i'll use wrestling we got a wrestling audience my philosophy with h wrestling which is um the other thing i do is i have a a wrestling developmental system the the tagline of it is understand the sport so whether yes it's all about ourselves so in wrestling Why are you a right leg lead? Why are you a left leg lead? How are you using your, your hands? What, you know, what is balance to you? How do you increase your balance? Where are the positioning points? How do we increase our leverage? We break that down. I have a nine year old son, Ryan. He is actually really taken on to the sport of wrestling the last four or five months. He has not wrestled. He's been around the sport his whole life. He has not wrestled in a tournament yet. He's not ready. He's not ready. He doesn't understand. He doesn't mm-hmm. understand the point scoring. He doesn't understand. So again, this is just an example using wrestling, but we can use any other domain or industry where we break down who we are, what we're about, and the details to get us to that next level.
0: Oh, I love it. And I love the the notion of clarity of purpose. There's uh, Urban Meyer was big on that. I know who's, you know, obviously was at Ohio State, but clarity of purpose is huge. And you think about your son, who's nine, he's never wrestled a match. He's getting clarity of purpose on why he does certain things, and that's—I just don't think you can talk enough about that, especially when you see youth clubs now throwing kids in tournaments at the eight-and-under division, and their parents are acting like maniacs out there. (laughs) My brother and I used to run a freestyle club, and we saw plenty of it. I'm sure you've seen it to a whole other degree. How do parents take your uh, philosophy on that? Is there resistance?
1: Oh, great. Great. No, I mean, they, they love it. I think the problem is, and I've just been talking to some friends and if anybody out here in the audience is listening, it's the key for me now is to take it to, to another level. Right. And, um, and, and package it in a way because it's a, it, it, this all comes from a very, very sincere place. And what we're doing is we're hurting these kids. We're hurting our sport and it, it, it doesn't remain specifically in a sport of wrestling. These parents have to understand, and I kind of said it earlier, it's not their journey. Our job as parents is to love, support, and let these kids find themselves through sport. So my, my parents embrace it a ton. Now, I don't tell them what to do, but I do share examples. I have no clue if my son's going to be a good wrestler or not. I know that he has some pretty good skills and he's athletic, but at what level, you know, will he wrestle? Will he want to wrestle in three years? I have no clue. Nor do I care. Uh, what I care about is that he's having fun and he's developing and he's learning the work ethic that's associated with a sport like wrestling, which is a very individual one-on-one sport. So, with these parents, you, you know, what I, my advice would be is to help your son or daughter understand themselves through sport so we have to guide them and and there's specific strategies to do that otherwise you know if you're you know if you're that crazy maniac parent and some some of these parents out there and i have friends that are that way you know and i have to talk to them and pull them aside and be like listen bro you're not helping them and they're like you know what you're right and 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 we grow because they don't want you know at the end of the day parents don't want to hurt their kids um they just get so involved and wrapped up and they're not quite sure how to navigate it so I, I get a lot of positive feedback by my philosophies, but they're not rocket science. Almost everybody would agree with them in theory, but it's the practice, it's the execution that a lot of these parents have a, a hard time doing.
0: Man, so how do we take that and make you like USA Wrestling's kids club facilitator for the whole country? It's like the scale is what's the hard thing. Whenever I talk to someone like you or... or um, I bring up the Andy Rovat example again because he has a real real solid sense of like the fundamentals and how, how to apply them based on his time in Russia. So like, how are you thinking about applying that at scale across a uh, USA wrestling or is that the challenge you're kind of working on?
1: Well, I think part of it is just, you know, everything's timing, right? You know, I'm not a guy that, uh, I try, I try to take small bites out of the apple. So, you know, I've had conversations with USA wrestling here and there, but I- I- at the end of the day, it's timing, um, there's just different ways to do it right. And sometimes we don't know exactly what those ways are to be the most effective we can be, whether it's some type of uh technology, whether it's some type of, you know, uh platform or, or social media, uh, you know, in order to, to do it right, it has to be set up correctly. And I think that's a challenge. We have so many great ideas out there, but again, I go back to my own model and in the execution portion, you know, and, and so a lot of things aren't executed very well. My goal is to figure out, you know, how we can, just positively impact more lives on a massive scale not just you know in joe heskett's little bubble or or whomever's little bubble how do we get on the same page and really make a a universal impact yeah and i don't know the answer to that right now it's a a
0: teamwork thing and i'm a teamwork guy
1: but i'm sure that you know over time as long as i'm breathing i'm going to be
0: working towards that positive impact well and it's like to your point let's not forget Let's not forget about the execution, because in your area and the people you're touching, like that's making an impact. And if we started going too macro, maybe then it would start losing its efficacy. So I love that you're just super focused in on on the execution of what you're doing now. So as we kind of wind down here, so you're doing H leadership and then H wrestling. Is that kind of like a wrestling academy, like uh, like the Edge or something like that, or what? It- no, my, my
1: model is just a little bit different I'm, because I, uh, because I'm so focused on personal development, everything I do for the most part is small group instruction. I may do like, uh, with H specifically, I may have a kid's group that's, you know, 14, 16 kids, but I don't really go much over that. Um, everything's small group, four to six athletes. Uh, and, and, and we, we don't do a ton of live. I'm not at a traditional club. Uh, we meet once a week. They go to their own clubs. But what we do is we break down the sport in great detail and we raise their understanding. And Ryan, I, I've been at this a long time. I get so many aha moments, even from some really, really good athletes, even, you know, uh, at the college level and international level, because they're not, some of them are just really good wrestlers, but they're not even understanding what they're doing. Um, not, not in a way that they can articulate it and, and build off of it. So that's really my kind of my model and my system. I'm a small group guy. Um, I'm all about refinement. I'm all about details, and uh, so I'm not a traditional club club model.
0: I think that's what makes it unique and probably more effective. Now, just uh, this three quick questions as we wind down, and the last one is always, "How did wrestling change your life?" So that's kind of a giveaway. But the first one for me is, you're obviously a very studious guy. You know, are, are there any books or? or people you follow that really uh, jump out to you in the the leadership and development realm?
1: You know, I, I don't, I'm not really a big social media guy. So um, I don't do a whole lot of following and I just have my own kind of, kind of personal mentors. And um, one of my, one of my great mentors and somebody that, that, you know, uh, leadership mentors is somebody that no one's really ever heard of, um, you know, probably in the, in the wrestling world. But uh, his name's Peter DeMarco. He has a company called Priority Thinking, PriorityThinking.com. But this is a guy that goes. He's a former West Point grad. Has been doing leadership for you know uh, his own leadership company for you know thir- almost thirty years. Um, but that's you know it's guys like that. Sometimes it's the the humble ones and the ones you don't know of that are the most effective. And and so that's a great mentor. And I have other you know uh, incredible mentors that have helped me. And I've sat down. And I've talked leadership with them, and they're very successful people. Uh, but that's one of the great ways to go is just to ask a bunch of questions. And when it comes to books, I'm always I, – I really am a big fan of Good to Great. It was one of the first books mm-hmm. that really got me thinking uh, about things. And, um, you know, so those those are kind of the in, – in that area, I wrapped up, that up with a bow with those two things.
0: I've, I've heard a lot of people recommend that. I've never pulled the trigger on it, Good to Great. But this might be the final push. Man, I mean, there's so many good books out there, but – maybe this is the final push to get me over the hump there. I, I do enjoy, uh, enjoy reading. And the one thing you hit on too is man, having personal mentors, it's kind of a weird thing to say to people who aren't kind of in this space. But man, it's so important because we all know that we just go that much harder when there's someone else we're trying to uh, not achieve our goals for, but when there's someone else tracking us. Um, I don't know what it is. It's kind of a weird thing about psychology, but we all know it's, it's certainly true.
1: No absolutely um, uh,
0: and then last question is what's uh if you had to look at your life in the sport, you know how would you say that wrestling has changed or impacted your life and set you up kind of be the person you are now
1: i mean it's it's everything i mean it really is it's it's molded me i, I can't imagine the sport you know uh myself without the sport it's it's given me guidance, it's given me discipline, it's given me great relationships um it, 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 every aspect of my life ties back into the sport of wrestling. Um, every aspect, my children, uh, my relationships, uh, you know, my, my education. So wrestling, wrestling has been an incredible part to my whole, and I couldn't be more grateful for the sport. And it's one of the reasons why I want to see it continue to grow and it positively impact, uh, lives. And I'm telling you, if we do not put on our kitty gloves with these, with these youth, we're going to have a much higher burnout rate than's necessary because this sport is not easy, and so making ensuring that these kids are having fun and ensuring that parents understand how to navigate that fun sequence, um, that's going to be a game changer for the for the uh, success of our sport because the success of our sport isn't just about the wins and losses. Most of these kids aren't going to get to the state championships or or you know, um, national NCAA tournament or Olympic games. So we really have to look at the whole and understand what are we doing to ensure that these kids are having a great experience within our sport. And, and I think that's one of my goals moving forward.
0: Powerful Joe Heskett, man. I I get excited talking to you. And I just hope this is the the beginning of the, of a friendship here, man, because you are an outstanding guy. And I think just your mindset is so unique on the sport that we need more folks like you. So I really appreciate your time today, sir. And wish you nothing but the best.
1: No, I appreciate you, Ryan. Thanks a lot for the uh for the call and, and great job with what you do.
0: That's the end of this episode, but definitely not the end of the show. For more episodes, please go to wrestling Subscribe to us on iTunes, give us a star rating, show the love, baby. Show the love. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Peace.